electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the big week for your money. Earnings season kicking off with the banks. More inflation data rolling in and the debate intensifying over what the Fed will make of all of that and what it will do next. Our investment committee debating it, of course. Joining me for the hour, Kerry Firestone, Joe Terranova, Steve Weiss. Let's check the market. Seems like, well, we've been searching for a little bit of direction after that jobs report on Friday. There's your picture now. We're red across the board. There's the yield on the 10-year note at 341. Joe, big week, as we said. So earnings kicking off with the banks. United Health later in the week as well. Econ data, CPI, PPI. We got the Fed minutes. We got retail. Leesman today saying that the jobs report means the Fed's likely to hike in May. I feel like the market doesn't really know what to make of any of this just yet. No, the, mar- the market right now is very conf- uh, conflicted and very confused. Retail sales, that is a big report. That's a big report because I think that will identify whether or not the consumer is finally becoming cost conscious, finally pulling back um, in an environment where I think they should be pulling back. And I think if you look at last week's jobs report, I don't think there's any validation, Scott, in that report for what the Federal Reserve is going to do. You're talking about information that was not available after Silicon Valley Bank, right? So the, the, the data input only goes to the Friday before Silicon Valley Bank. There's no validation in that. But look, I've said this over and over again. You now have credit tightening. That is an added, that is an added albatross on the consumer. And I think looking forward, the only thing you could expect is a consumer that's going to pull back. Okay. If you want some information, Weiss, that perhaps the Fed is going to look at and, you know, it won't be skewed at all, by what Joe is talking about, the jobs data related to SVB. New York Fed inflation expectations, one-year expectations up 0.5% to 4.7%, up for the first time since October of 22. Three-year expectations are up 0.1% to 2.8%. So that tells you three-year expectations, you're still not getting down to 2% inflation. The Fed is going to look at that, perhaps, and say, well, Want more evidence that we need to continue to hike interest rates? Here's certainly one important metric that we look at. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And wage growth continues to uh, to defy expectations. That was higher than, than consensus as well in the report on Friday. Uh, and take a look. The market didn't have a knee-jerk reaction. It thought about it over the weekend, a long weekend. And here's where we are today. So, look, the other data that was important is loan data, right? We saw that for, you know, that that you've seen loan growth slow down Mm -hmm. dramatically, the lowest that it's been since the Fed started keeping numbers. So you've got that tightening, and that's the question. Does the Fed consider that? How much do they consider what happened with the banks? How much credit is tightening in deciding whether they're going to They consider all of it. They put it all into the thing, and they stir it up. 
it's a ma- it's a matter of what they serve. I mean, right. what what what's the end result of everything in, in total? So the end result of everything in total is that the economy is getting hit with a sledgehammer. It's going to continue to slow. I think we'll see a weak, you know, retail sales number on Friday. I agree with you. It's an important number. Uh, if we don't on this Friday, then we'll see it again when they report again. So it's clearly happening. This is a very predictable playbook in terms of one Fed tightening. It's the economy, and that is starting now. So, Kerry, Wolf Research has some interesting commentary out today. The Fed's actions to both tighten and loosen policy at the same time are very likely to keep inflation elevated, prolong the upcoming downturn, and cause equity markets to be volatile while significantly underperforming over the remainder of the year. What do you make of what they say and sort of what's at stake this week and what is undoubtedly a, a big week? Sure. Well, Scott, we're going to find out on Wednesday something about inflation. And that's a number that the Fed is going to look at carefully. Uh, We expect that rents will come down significantly. That should play a part in the overall number and what the Fed is going to do. So it's the, the language that Jay Powell uses when he when he speaks that people pay most attention to. If he says we're raising 25 basis points and we think that we need to go longer and harder and we're being aggressive because inflation isn't coming down, that's very different than if he says 25 basis points and we're seeing reaction in, in the banking world and lending and inflation that's moving in the right direction. So the market right now is, you know, it's it's kind of holding in, um, in a pattern that suggests we've got earnings coming up. We don't know what's going to happen with these macro numbers. But remember, the market is over 4,100. It's, uh, it's, it's not retested the lows. We've stayed much higher than I think a lot of strategists expected, particularly given what happened with the banking industry last month. Uh, if mm-hmm. we can hold in at this level over the next Uh, three or four weeks as earnings come out, that would be a win for investors. But we're going to find that out soon. We know, Joe, we're in an earnings recession, right? Pisani, you know, sent around some interesting numbers earlier. Uh, Earnings are expected to decline 5.2 percent for Q1. That's after a 3.2 percent drop in Q4. So we have an earnings recession, obviously. Um, Q2 expectations don't get really much better, down 4 percent. So what do we want to do with expectations that earnings are still going to decline. Not that the market's going to be shocked by any of that. At some point, you know, what, what the people who try and be a little more bullish say is, yeah, but the worst is getting behind us. And then if you looked at expectations for earnings beyond the numbers that I just read you, then they start to, to trend higher. I still see us as potentially building up a cushion in the coming weeks. And I, and I think Carrie's right in her analysis of the overall market. This has been a very resilient market that's now trading at the top end of its range from 3,800 to 4,200, going back to last November. So in the coming weeks, can we build a little bit of a cushion for what lies ahead in Q3? And the reason I say that is we have already discounted the premise that earnings are contracting. When you say build a cushion, you're talking about in the market itself? Yes, in the I market mean, did, itself. I think kinda, it's important that we, we do, do that. that? Do we already do that? Well, you'd like to build a little bit more of a cushion as you move through this quarter, because I don't believe what is priced in is that the earnings recession will go beyond two quarters. I think we've priced in two quarters down for earnings, but have we priced in 
a sustained environment where over a multi-quarter period earnings are down? The answer to that is without question, no. Well, obviously, we if, haven't priced that in. If Q2 earnings are expected to decline 4.0 percent, that's in the market. Well, that's what I mean. That would be three quarters in a row, okay. not two quarters. Okay, but in the coming quarters, we have not priced in. This is supposed to be the trough. This quarter is expected to be the earnings trough. That's why I say let's build in a little bit of a cushion. I still think you have to be positioning your portfolio for what's coming between July and September, which is going to be the significant economic contraction. And during that quarter, are we going to have to begin to price in looking forward that the earnings recovery that we're expecting might be a little bit more prolonged? We're starting to price that in, though, Weiss, aren't we? As of, you know, last week, industrials were the worst sector last week. So cyclical stocks have started to roll over a bit. Yep. I remember last week the data was bad almost across the board. Everything, every metric that came out, ISM, PMI services, uh, et cetera, was not good. And yep. that's why cyclical stocks started to roll over. Yep, and, and I agree with Joe. I think at this point the market's pricing in Q1 as a trough, and that's not going to be the trough. It's unrealistic to think that it is. At this point in time... Well, it could be the trough in terms of the, 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 the weakness... Of, of how deep the decline in earnings could be. It may very well be the trough. It doesn't mean that they're going to go positive the next quarter. Right, but I don't think that's the case either. I so think you think, you think so if, if earnings are projected to be down 5.2%, um, uh, or what I said they, they were projected to be, you don't think that's going to be the trough? No, actually, actually FactSet came out the end of last week and said 7%, 6.8%. So it's worse than that. Um, no, I think they'll, they'll continue to decline. Maybe they won't go down 7% to your point, but who cares? The decline's still going to be there, creating that, making that disparity between valuation, what the market's done, and where the P.E. should be even much greater, so the market's vulnerable. It's not good news the market's at 4,100. Okay, I think the market should be trading right now like 3,600. Well, it's, well, isn't it good news, though, for the kind of cushion, I use the word that Joe used, yeah, right. that you have a little bit of a cushion? I mean, if you had all of this negative news coming out where the, if the market was at 38 or 3,600, right. that would not be good. No good. No good at all. Actually, actually I think there, there's too much complacency. So I don't think that cushion's good. I'd rather see the market be realistic. If the market were realistic and we're trading at 3,600, then I'd say the risk-reward's attractive here, and maybe I'll start to put some money into it. 3,600 sounds a little dramatic, no? I don't think so. I think it's better than 3,200 I was looking at. I don't think 3,200 is going to be realistic now in terms of where the market gets to. And I get there by putting, you can put it 14 to 16 PE in the market of 200, of, you know, 200 in earnings, and you're there. And a lot of people are calling for it. I just don't think we retest lows because of the perennial optimism. But at this point, you've had more than 50% of S&P companies take their numbers down for this year, right? Negative numbers. I think guidance will worsen, and it's going to be realistic. We didn't have a, how many, we didn't have hardly any pre-announcements, did we? No, but guidance through the quarter, as they came in last year, last quarter, and they said what they're going to do this quarter. What do I want to do with cyclicals? As I said, industrials, weak, the weakest last week. Deer, I think they weakened. Deer down 10.5, United Rentals down 10, Cat down 8.5, for example. You know, Steve's defining the market as not being realistic. I see the market as being very realistic. It's realistic about what's coming and looking ahead and seeing the weakness. Because the the attribution so far year to date to positive performance for the S&P is coming from a very small, narrow group of stocks that are quote unquote safe havens. And I'm not 
categorizing those stocks as safe havens. Tech, but you're talking that's about, how obviously. So you're talking about tech's been so, realistic, so the market not is, the market. The market, the market is messaging in a realistic fashion. This environment is not a good environment for earnings. This is not a good environment for the consumer. This is not a good environment economically. Therefore, this small basket of stocks, that's where we, quote, unquote, want to hide out. Again, oh. I don't agree with so that. So, Kerry, then that maybe is that the only reason we're near 4,100 on the S&P? is because of what's ha- happened with big cap tech? No, no it's not the only reason. Uh, however, uh, that was uh, a, you know, a big sector that suffered last year. I mean, the average tech stock was down more than 20%, and the mega caps were down more than that. So I, I think there's both the rebound effect. They got hit hard, and so they're, you know, people are buying them. But if, if you look at, as an example, you know, if you looked at Alphabet, the stock is up, I think, 27% from its bottom, um, it sells for 17 times earnings. Now, perhaps that earnings number, uh, that's forward earnings, is a little bit um, high, but maybe it's 18 times. It's a market multiple or below a market multiple, and that's true of a number of the tech names. So they were oversold, Meta, as an example. It's up 138%. It still sells for below a market multiple. And, you know, I'm not suggesting that everybody go run and buy tech. I'm just saying that they were an oversold group and in an environment where cyclicals are going to trade down, and it looks like in, uh, interest rates are peaking, even if they haven't peaked exactly, Exactly. Growth stocks tend to outperform and those earnings can be more resilient. And we know the companies keep talking about cutting costs. So they're trying to preserve margins. So, you know, I'm just trying to give the, the um, argument slightly against Steve going to 3200 or 3400. I mean, I think that is extreme and the market shouldn't be at that level if we are if we are bringing inflation down and interest rates are peaking at this point. Just to be clear, I didn't say 32, 34. I said 36. Oh, I said we're not going to go. Like it's, to go there. Still, it's still, it's still fine. fine. It's still the good. point is, that's the direction of the market. Whether it's 36, nobody can pick the exact point where it says this is the bottom. 36 to 37. My point is, it's overvalued now. We've seen earnings expectations come down, and we've seen the market market PE expand while the Fed's still tightening, and have yet to see the full impact of the tightening cycle to date. So the market should not be here for what, any reason what whatsoever. If, what if tech earnings, since we're talking about right. both, essentially, as Dan Ives says, are going to be cautious but stable? What happens if the earnings in, in that space aren't well, as bad as, let, as Let's think? parse it. Okay, so you've got so many different areas of yeah. tech, right? So tech over... Tech no, I'm over, talking mega cap. Okay, so software should be okay. Software. Let's put it this way. Mm-hmm. Because if mega cap doesn't roll over, you're not going to 3,600. It's um, not. Mathematically, you're probably not. But take away those big cap stocks. Not all the markets, not all the money in the market is in those stocks. No, but you know what I'm saying. There's no way. There's no way that you're going to 3,600 if those, if if those stocks don't roll over. I, I think tech's overbought here. I think NVIDIA at the level that it's at is overbought. I think Microsoft is overbought. I think Apple's overbought. Those companies, that's where the money's gone to hide. And while they're great companies with great models, et cetera, the valuations now are excessive relative to the environment, relative to the rest of the market. But I mean, they were so blown apart last year. They, they were, but look at what they've recovered at, to 100 times earnings on NVIDIA. You think that's rational? I don't think that's rational. You take a look at CrowdStrike or, or uh, Palo Alto. These companies aren't going to make money for a few years. If they do, it's negligible. Do you think those valuations are rational? No, they're not. You want to take issue with that? 
No, I, listen. I mean, I, you're in the process of thinking about how you're going to rebalance your Joe T ETF if you if you do at all. I mean, and I know you're thinking about this very question. I'm thinking Should about Should you? It. I didn't say you're doing anything. No. I, I'm speaking in ways that you can't. Okay, because you have to make these decisions, and I know you're bound by the the rules and laws of of doing that. However, I mean, it's only normal to think that you're thinking about what role technology is going to play in the quarters ahead after, like many other people, not being positioned right coming into this year. I think the most obvious condition that has changed uh, in 2023 for an investment manager is if you were carrying technology at an underweight, fundamentally, I don't see how you can maintain that underweight given the environment that we're in right now. Fundamentally, not technically. Carrie's saying they're oversold. I understand they're oversold, but now I'm talking about the pure fundamentals in constructing a portfolio. You can't be binary. You can't say, you can't come on the network and say, here come the roaring 20s. I want to own cyclicals. You have to now think once again about having a little bit of reliable, sustainable earnings in the portfolio, cash-rich companies with the balance sheet. So you just, for me, it's obvious you can't maintain that underweight positioning. And I think ultimately that's where a lot of people have been. With all that being said, collectively, Steve, I don't think we know the answer to whether technology is going to be able to be the ballast that holds the market up and doesn't allow it to fall back to the lows from the fall. I think the answer to that is going to come in the coming quarter. And I actually think you're not even going to have the clarity in this quarter. I think in July, we're going to be having the same conversation. You see, we can technology hold up the market. I think we're going to need to know more than just this earnings right. period. You see, we, we look at the world differently. Not, not You're not wrong, I'm not wrong. We look at it differently. You look at underweights and overweights. I look at what's my risk in the market and what can I get outside the market. And I'm, I'm very happy to get 4 to 5% Understood. in treasuries that are tax advantaged and not worry about the risk in the market and what's a recession. Well, you, know, you may be think, wrong if we don't go back to 3,600 and if technology continues to you know, have this ability to lead the market, then you're going to be wrong. I'm, I'm willing to be wrong and preserve my capital. So we, have, we live under this, this belief that markets can only go up. We're coming off an extended bull market of the free money. Markets can only go why, up. I why mean, can't markets go did, down? What do you mean? They did. Bit. They can go down. But they here, did. But here's the problem with that. And this is important for the viewers. Listen, I watched yesterday. You saw, you saw those golfers the masters? at the Masters, yeah. how amazing they were. I play golf. I stink, okay? I try and play golf like them. Steve, there's something called reinvestment risk, and the viewers are not able to efficiently time their way back into the market like you can. So, yes, right now the environment suggests I want the 4.8% money market yield. I want the cash equivalency. I understand that, but most of the viewers, they can't quickly position back and, into and the market. I'm not suggesting they do. I'm not suggesting if they own good companies, I'm not saying sell them. I'm saying wait for a better time to put money in the market. And when you do, they're not going to know when a better time well, is. It's well, going to be after the fact. You've acknowledged that you're going to miss the first 10% right. coming off the market. Steve, unless this is I 19- can tell you, I, I agree with you. I can't pick the bottom. Nobody can time it perfectly. But what I can say is that with conviction that this is not a good time to put new money in the market. I think if you wait six months, you'll have a better time. Maybe it's three months, but now is not the time. So if I were sitting on the sideline, I'd mark down the calendar three months, start looking. However, if you find companies that are really beaten up, 
Like I bought United Health, not really beaten up, but valuation was low enough. Maybe I get another time, uh, chance to add to it when they report. I have no idea what the quarter's going to be, but the fundamentals look good. It's a perennial compounder. My view is it's not a good time to buy 100 PE stocks because momentum took it back up to that level. All right, but you're talking about a six-month time period. Do you think this is a multi-year malaise? Is this the late 70s where the market gives you 4% inflation runs at 9%? No, I'll tell you why. Okay, I think inflation's going to stay high and the Fed is going to keep hitting hitting the economy. Okay, but you've got a completely different type of investment group looking at the market now. You've got different dynamics in the market. Lee Cooperman talks about it all the time. You've got algos that control the market. So it's going to put a floor into the market, right? Because stocks will get cheap enough, then it'll buy it. However, I can't bet on what the algos are going to do. All I can tell you is that the economy is weakening. We see in every single data point. So to have the market at 4,100 and stocks at this level makes no sense. You'll get better options. Kerry. Yeah, I, I think that we're all saying some version of the same thing, which is that 4,100 is not cheap for the market. We're not selling at 15 times earnings. We're selling at 18 and a half times this year and 17 to 18 times next year's. However, there are parts of the market at any time that are attractively priced. And I think what Joe and I are saying is that the technology stocks, having really been wiped out last year, traded down to a multiple that was very low. They've come back. Some of them are more expensive than others. NVIDIA is not a name I think either of us were suggesting is cheap. And I, I agree with Steve. But there are others that are cheap. And you can find places to own stocks and have a portfolio that takes advantage of both price and where their valuation you know, makes sense and the earnings are growing. So, you know, it, the idea that this recession is going to bring stocks back down 15 percent, I, I think that's extreme. I don't expect the market to rise 15 percent in the near term. But remember, there are no cases in which a market doesn't bottom well before you're in the middle of a recession or the depth of a recession. So, you know, maybe the market has bottomed already and we can have a recession and we're not going back to where we were on October 12th. That would be typical of what happens in most markets where there's a recession. Yeah. All right, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, a big pop for a big energy player on reports. It could be acquired. The latest headlines. We've got the latest trades. We'll do it next in our chart of the day. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
All right, we're back. Chart of the day. Uh, here's what a headline does. There's Pioneer up uh, 12 bucks, almost 6%, Joe. Wall Street Journal says Exxon held informal early stage talks with Pioneer about a possible acquisition. Okay. You own Pioneer personally. I do. The Joe T has Exxon and Pioneer Correct. in it. What do you make of this? What I make of this is that there's going to be a tremendous amount of M&A in 2023 and 2024. You have cash-rich energy companies that will reach the limitation of a capital allocation strategy in terms of raising dividends and buying back their shares. They're not putting the money into the wellhead. They're not increasing production. They're going to seek growth through acquisitions. A couple of months ago, we were talking about talking about Pioneer buying range resources. I understand that was dismissed, mm -hmm. but this is going to be a consistent theme. Now, whether or not you know what else is a consistent theme that this administration hates mergers. Yeah, that's exactly okay. right. They don't want any mergers to go through. So and let's, they especially let's say, okay. They especially don't like energy companies. Okay, and let's say this doesn't happen. Fine. Guess what? What does this do? It illuminates the value that exists in a company like Pioneer. This is one of the premier independent producers in the Permian Basin. They are a low cost presence with strong inventory, a ridiculous dividend yield, and a strong balance sheet. The stock in early March was trading below 180. It did not belong below 180. This is a stock that belongs higher than where it is now, probably closer to the May high from last year at 288. So what this does is it turns the lights back on again, says, wait a second, this is a valuable asset in an environment where the energy assets are going to come into play over the coming years, whether or not the administration supports it or not. So whether they can actually get a deal done doesn't matter at all. Still shows the investment community the value of this asset. Yeah, look. I, you agree with that? I agree. I agree with everything you said. I agree with you that the administration, they don't want to approve any mergers, regardless of the economic impact or the impact on, on society. No, but if you're it's always so viewed, to Joe's point, right. if Pioneer is viewed as the shiny toy that's always going to be sitting there, Right. If then you you're willing to pay one, some level of a premium for right. the stock. No? If you're going to be an energy pioneer, is a great one to be in because of the dividend that it pays. Why not? Uh, why aren't you? Uh, you know, because I, I think energy is never an investment. It's always a trade. maybe a longer-term trade at some point or short-term. Just go back to three months ago or, or six months ago. You know, that gas was going to be at $15. Right. And we, here we are at 2 bucks for an extended period of time. Well, I mean, you've liked so, Devin. Are you I still in Devon? No, I, I sold Devon on the pop when Sally's made the announcement. Um, look, you can trade it, but I've been I've missed it. I missed it all, as I said, in 20 and 21 and 22. So, you know. Well, they can be a good investment then, just not they can. for you. I, I think you have to buy it when everybody hates it. Is we're, and maybe now is one of those times because you got this concerns about the economic sensitivity. They do shut in capacity. They've gotten much better at doing that. So I think now is perhaps a good time to buy it if you were to do it. I'm not doing that. Carrie, you own Nextera. Is that, is that it in the energy space? It is, yeah. So we have not uh, owned energy, energy stocks in the last year. We thought they were overpriced, but they kept going up, right? And when the price of oil hit 125, which was quite a while ago, we thought, well, that's the peak and the price of oil is coming down. 
and it has. It's consistently fallen, but the stocks have continue to be a good group. You know, it's unlikely that three years in a row they're going to lead in terms of all the sectors. Uh, Nextera is a utility company with renewable energy. So it's not Pioneer and it's not Exxon. It's a different type of energy company, participates in, in the market. And as utility, this is the kind of stock we think for an environment that's a little dicey. It has a decent yield. And we like the renewable part. We think that those stocks have been under pressure and it should start to outperform. Uh, I think that what what was right, I think Joe said it, that these companies have a lot of cash and they're going to try to make acquisitions is definitely true. Whether they'll be able to uh, complete them and, and they'll pass, um, you know, government's uh, tests. I, you know, that's, that's a tough one. This will take a while to, to get through. But I understand exactly why Exxon would want to start spending money on, uh, on shale production in the United States. All right. So conceptually, think about these companies and say to yourself, do they need to sell? Pioneer doesn't need to sell. That's why it's such a valuable asset. And there's other names in the energy space that you could say the same. To Steve's point, in trying to find opportunity in areas of the energy market where no one believes it can go up. Mm -hmm. How about natural gas? Is there yeah, anyone right now who would say to you, you know what, natural gas, you know, vacillating $2. on the other side of $2, let's go buy natural gas. So I'm looking at Steve and I'm saying to myself, EQT, I don't know where EQT is, what, $33, $34, somewhere Didn't around there? Didn't you guys both own EQT? Well, I sold out of it a little after he did in the 40s. Yeah, yeah I sold out. But that's, that's an but example of if you believe that, that's but, a company you buy. The other thing buy. is you have to do your own work because nobody's going to come out now in this political environment like they used to and say, we're shutting in production. You know, they're just going to let the market figure out for itself because nobody, because they don't want the political fallback of saying, oh, you're shutting in production, you've taken all this money from the government, and now you're shutting in production so prices go up and hurt the consumer. I just don't think that happens. All right. Let's it doesn't get, mean they're not valuable, though. Okay. Uh, let's get to Pippa Stevens now with the news headlines. Hey, Pippa. Hey, Scott. Well, here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Russia and Ukraine exchanging more than 200 prisoners of war in their latest swap. Russia's defense ministry and a Ukrainian presidential official both confirming that around 100 servicemen from each side were returned to their home countries. The swap took place in an unidentified location, and it represents a rare example of direct contact between the enemy nations. Back in the U.S., the Nashville Metropolitan Council is expected to consider reinstating ousted legislator Justin Jones, a majority of council members telling NBC News that they plan to vote to reinstate Jones. That opens up a possible avenue for the ousted lawmaker to be sent back to the legislature as early as this afternoon. And the NBA set records for both overall attendance and number of sellouts during its latest regular season campaign. More than 22 million fans attended games in person this season, with the average stadium attendance exceeding 18,000 people for the first time in the league's history. Scott, back to you. All right, Pippa, thank you. Get ready for the playoffs. As we speak, coming up, protecting against downside risk. That is next in today's ETF Edge when we come back. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. 
Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. And welcome back to Halftime. I'm Bob Pisani with today's ETF Edge. Looking to stay in the market but protect against losses that might be caused by a recession. ETFs that provide protection against downside risk were one of the big winners in 2022. And they continue to attract investor interest in 2023. One particularly successful strategy has been buffered products, which offer participation in stocks or bonds. And they also provide downside protection as well. Graham Day is the senior vice president and chief investment officer at Innovator ETFs. They pioneered this buffer product line. They've just introduced a new barrier ETF product line that seeks to provide high income and a protective barrier against losses over specific holding periods. Graham, these products that allow investors to sort of stay in the stock market but get downside protection, they were huge hits last year. Explain how this buffered product works. Yeah, Bob, great to see you. Really, today, it's all about risk management. The volatility that we've seen in the equity markets trickling over into the bond markets. Advisors and investors want a level of certainty. And so what the buffer ETFs offer is broad benchmark exposure, uh, equity exposure. And in exchange for an upside cap, investors can have known levels of built-in barriers against downside losses. And with the volatility that we're seeing, this is why we're having a lot of investors using these buffer ETFs as a way to stay invested and have that known built-in buffer against loss. And so if we look at PAPR, our Power Buffer ETF April series, that ETF gives you approximately 15% of the upside to the equity market one-to-one. And in exchange, you also have a 15% buffer against downside losses. That known level of risk management is what's really attracting investors to these products today. You know, these uh, products work great uh, in a down to a sideways market, but investors give up a significant amount of upside with the market trending up, right? You give up a lot, right? You can, Bob, but really that's the benefit of these products is that your upside and your downside are all known before investing. And so with the April series, PAPR, a lot of investors would be very happy to get 15% on the upside here in 20 for the remainder of 2023. But it's more that downside risk management that they're focused on. And what we've seen is an evolution of the use cases of these ETFs. When interest rates were low, volatility was low, bonds were very expensive. Yeah. And we had advisors that decided to rotate out of bonds and invest in the buffer ETFs. There was no yeah. upside left in those bonds. Right. And so right. now we're seeing adv advisors that look at a 15% cap and say, I would be happy yeah. to track one-to-one -one with the equity markets yeah. up to 15% and have that built-in risk management. Very, very briefly, you followed up with a barrier ETF product, a line that provides high income and a protective barrier against losses over specific holding periods. Very quickly, how do these products work? High level of income, built-in risk management against losses. We're taking from what was built in the structured note industry. And again, the benefit of you know exactly how much income you have. You know exactly what levels of risk management you have in place with these products.
you know. All right, we're going to have a lot more on how to protect yourself on the downside with ETFs coming up on ETF Edge at 1.10 p.m. Eastern Time. Graham is going to be joined by Todd Sohn. He's the ETF and technical strategist at Strategus Securities. That's etfedge.cnbc.com. Scott, back to you. All right. Bob, thank you. Bob Pisani. All right, up next, the street's biggest calls of the day, how the committee thinks you should be positioned. We are talking Nike, McDonald's, and more next. Let's do some calls of the day now. We start with Nike. BMO reiterates outperformed Target 120. You sold it in 2021, right? Time for another look? Not yet. No. Why not? Need to see more of a, a recovery in the in the business model. Need to see the, the reopening in, in Asia be uh, a contributor to earnings growth. Well, I, is it, I don't isn't think it going there. to be? I mean, if China's reopened. Might be sunny this week or it might rain. I don't know. I don't think I don't think it's the time. It's not there. Stocks up 40 percent in six months. OK. Sold out of it in October of 21 at 167. I'm comfortable sitting on the sidelines right now. Okay, are you trying to say that, you know, I was right, so I don't care? I mean, I'm not trying to say you were wrong. <laughs> no. What's I, up with I this need, guy? I want, I want to see more strength in the business model. See that last name Labenthal? Mm-hmm. Weiss? No, his last name's not Labenthal, but it could be today. Um, the sporting goods category has been great. I mean, take a look at what Dick Sporting's good. Dick Sporting's goods has done great stocks, done well. It's still actually relatively inexpensive. You still in that own. stock? I don't own it. I don't know. I sold it uh, poorly. It was an okay trade, but I sold it poorly. Sold it um, poorly? But you're going to get uh, consumer numbers this weekend or this week, retail sales. I think it can tell the story. Plus, it's not hurting them now, but you take a look at some of the brands, shoe brands that are making inroads, and it says that maybe Nike's not all there is anymore. So you've got Hoka, you've got Up. I mean, it's it, they're small, 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 but I think the market's open to other players. Are they going to say cost efficiency on the call this week? They, they need to say cost efficiency. Yeah. They've got to get the expenses down. Okay. Uh, what about McDonald's? Upgraded to buy from neutral North Coast target to 321. Weiss, UBS reiterates as a buy target 305. Yeah, I think that's another place where people have been hiding. McDonald's. I mean, I mean, it's it's not a very cheap stock. It's a recipe for any stock, and I'm surprised it's not up more today because every company that's come out and announced layoffs has been up 10%, so maybe that game's over at this point. So I think it's okay. It's an institution. It's a brand. But this level, I think you can get it cheaper. Carrie, McDonald's. First, I'd like to say I saw air this week, and it was great. Uh, McDonald's. Um, You know, McDonald's, uh, interesting action last week. They announced everybody should stay at home. They're going to send out, you know, a whole lot of, uh, I guess, emails telling people not to come in anymore. And the stock shot way up. So I guess they're a beneficiary of uh, cost cutting. You don't have to be a tech company. You can be any company. And if you do that sort of announcement, I guess it's great for your stock. Um, People trade down from more expensive restaurants to McDonald's. If uh, if they're short of cash and if things are tough, so it might be a good stock for this environment and they're cutting costs. So, you know, two okay. positives can keep the, the the movement higher. All right. Ingersoll, Joe, uh, positive catalyst watch at City. Price target raised to 64 from 62. It's at 55. You own it in the Joe T. We do. So this is slow moving money. 
um, surprisingly a very strong industrial company that's really exhibiting strong earnings growth, getting the double-digit earnings growth, which was somewhat surprising for an industrial. Uh, Mid-60s price target, a little aggressive. You need to see more consistency in that mid-teens earnings growth present. Okay. Coming up. Big earnings reports on deck this week, and not just the banks. United Health leading the Dow to start Q2. All three of the committee members on the show today own it, which means we get you set up ahead of that next. Grade my trade. Send us your latest stock move, and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us, hashtag grade my trade. All right, we're back. Another big earnings report this week. It is United Health. Everybody owns it. Carrie, I go to you first. So what do we think as this stock has been leading to start this quarter? There's your chart, $513, where we are now. Forward PE of right. 20 and a half. Got a dividend yield. What do we think here? Yeah, well, we still like it. Last month, I talked about how we were buying more because the stock had underperformed in the first quarter, I mean, in a major sense. But this is a company uh, that grows with covered lives, and that's based in part on employment. And employment trends have stayed strong, so that's good for UNH. They're the leader in their field. They have a good balance sheet. 615, 616 is the estimate for the quarter. We think we'll be able, they'll be able to do it. And it probably sets them up for a, a decent, solid year. Not phenomenal, but at least we know that it's not cyclical in the way that many companies that have been leaving the market recently have been. Weiss? Yeah, is I this, agree. It, it, is this the stock we should be focusing on the most this week? Um, no, I don't. I don't think so. I think you like it, profitable healthcare. I, right? I do. That's my pick for the year, right. and I think it's going to be right. Uh, look, it, it, the issue with United Health, and I bought it, but Carrie's right. I mean, they're geared somewhat to employment, not a tremendous amount, but yes, you've got to look at that as one indicator. And the other thing with with uh, United Healthcare uh, is that the questions, that, the negative on it, I don't describe it as negative, is can it keep growing like it has? You're not looking at big growth. You're looking at low teens growth. To me, they can do that in a heartbeat. So I like it quite a bit. I think it's a perennial compounder. I also nibbled on Humana as well. Humana is slightly cheaper, but it's also not as high quality a company. Still high quality, but not like United Health. So I don't think it's going to be a tell for the market at all. I think it's going to be pretty nice. I think it's going to be an okay report. Not a tell, not a tell for the market, but could be a tell on why it has been a good move to be in this name. Yeah. In this market. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Look, quarter to quarter, who knows? I mean, they've been pretty consistent reporting solid quarters, beat and raise, or at least meet. I don't know if that'll be this quarter. I don't own for the quarter, though. You got it both personally and in the Joe T. I do. Let's let's you know. Let's acknowledge the stock lost significant price momentum since November. It's only been restored in the last week and a half because you finalized uh, the CMS. Medicare payment rates yeah. for 2024. So you've kind of restored that. Um, I think it falls back to. How much can Optum contribute? What, what's the growth there? That's been a significant story behind owning UNH for the you know, last several years. Yeah, I mean, if you take a look at it, when I say 
pickier spots. So I bought it when it lost momentum because all the momentum players were out of it. So I bought some of it right before CMS and added on CMS because it was so negative, the expectations on pricing, that I thought it was a good opportunity. Right. So that's where you can buy stocks. All right, speaking of buying, uh, selling, or anything else, uh, we're going to grade your trades. And we're going to do it next. And you can still send us an email, askhalftime at cnbc.com. You can tweet us as well. We'll be right back. Let's grade some trades. Joey, you first. NEO in Toronto bought Activision, $78.29. What's the grade? B, and if he follows up, we will potentially raise that to an A. It's how you what do you get mean a, follows up? Well, how do you get out of this? How do you get you out of the stock? have office hours or something like that? How do you get out of the stock? Think about this. Okay, what are we pricing in? We're pricing in now to greater than 50% probability that the deal gets done, right? The deal price is $95. The stock's sitting at $85.86 right now. You've got to really get out of the stock somewhere around 90 or 91 just in case that 50% probability uh, falls down and the deal doesn't get done. So there's a, there's a story to be finished here. Carrie, Jose in Florida says bought CarMax at 64.20. Wants to know your thoughts here. What's the grade and what do you think? So I'll give you an A minus, Jose. We own the stock, and so I'm on your side. But of course, the used car market has been tough. We need three things to happen. Remember, they're reporting tomorrow. We hope they hit 20 cents or more. Used car market has to be picking up more more uh, vehicles on the lots. Number two, gaining some market share from Carvana and some of the weak competitors. And number three, they spent a lot of money on CapEx. Let's see some return to investment on that big investment that they made. So I'm with you. I hope the timing is right. Let's okay, get them going. Weiss, last, yeah, I got you. Michael wants to know, Weiss, uh, Palo Alto Networks, short Palo Alto, uh, $180 call at 2023 against a long-term stock position. What do you think? And he said he's probably going to close probably going to close. Probably going to close before earnings. Right. Uh, look, I think it's at least a B, because I like the fact that it's hedging. I think Palo Alto's had too big of a run here. I sold the stock just a little bit lower than this. Okay. Um, so I think it's a good All hedge. Right. We are a quick break. Come back. Final trades are next. All right, welcome back. Closing bell two hours from now. Hope you'll join me, Adam Parker, Greg Branch. Steve Kovac is going to join us on tech as well. Kick that around, see if this run can continue. Apple's down a couple percent today. Let's do final trades. Carrie, you're first. In mode, INMD, it's a medical technology company, focuses on aesthetics, sells for 13 times earnings, very strong balance sheet, and we think it's really attractive at this price. All right, thank you very much, Mr. Weiss. Bungie, BG. Uh, I like the name. People have to eat. They did well last quarter uh, because of shortages in oil, and I think they'll continue to do well this quarter. Okay. Joey T. People do have to eat. They're going to McDonald's, but an even better place is Yum China. That's ah. my final trade. Okay. Thank you. I'll see everybody on Closing Bell. The exchange begins right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. 
can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 